for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. church family. We are uh, very grateful to have you here. And as Paul was saying, as he was doing the announcements, if you're a first-time guest, we'd love for you to fill out your connection card and go to that orange tent uh, and connect there. But I just want to pause before we even jump into this new series this morning and say, uh, today with being our small group expo, uh, there's only a couple times a year that we do these. And my hope for you is that you'll get connected in a, a small group. Because as Paul was even mentioned, I love how you said, we don't get much time here together on Sunday morning. And we want to be able to live this out as a church more than just uh, hearing some songs and singing some songs together and hearing some teaching and uh, kind of going and going, well, I believe what those people believe and leaving. Uh, we want to get into each other's lives. And so that's an opportunity for you to do that today as you're leaving. And I'll say, say some stuff about that at the very end of the service too. But right now I'm going to pray for us. We're going to start a brand new series called Be Connected. So let me pray. Father, thank you that we get to open your word. Thank you for encountering us already as we've sung about the gospel uh, this morning, as we've reflected on what you've done for us. And, and even as Pastor Seth was reading Ephesians chapter 2, just a story that each one of us has a different story, but we come together in the same story and that we were sinners and we needed you to save us and change us and bring us into relationship with you and give us a new identity. And for each one of us that have experienced that, thank you. And for those who haven't, God, I pray that you would invite them into that, call them into that this morning. I pray as we open up your word, you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as we begin this brand new series called Be Connected, uh, I know many of you have seen optical illusions before, but I want to play a little game with you this morning. So I want to draw your attention to the screen up here, and if you have a, a hard time seeing at whatever angle you're at, maybe you can lean in and really get connected with one another this morning if you're on some of those seats on the sides. But uh, I've got a couple slides I want to show you. The first slide here, I just want to wonder what you see as you see some of these slides. If you've ever had a college psychology class, you've probably seen this picture before. I just want to ask you, how many of you see an old woman's face when you look at this, this picture? Okay, a few of you. How many of you see a young woman looking away? Did you see this picture? How many of you can see both? How many of you see something totally different? We've got a couple. You might be a genius. Maybe you need other help. We can work with that. You can fill it on your connection card. All right, next picture. What do you see when you look at this picture? There's an eyeball there, obviously. How many of you see a rabbit when you look at this picture? How many of you see a duck facing the opposite direction of the rabbit? How many of you can now see both pictures that are there? <laughs> We've got one more that will pop up for you here. Would you believe me if I told you that box A and box B are both the exact same color? If you don't believe that, maybe look through one eye, whichever is your stronger eye, and then put your finger up and block the part where they break apart from each other. Ah, I wish I'd have taken a picture of this. Maybe second service. <laughs> All these people, oh, they're moving. Isn't that interesting? We could do this all day long. You can find these online if you Google them yourselves and just look up optical illusions. There's some that are fun. There's one that you can look up that I thought was really fun. We won't play for you this morning, but you stare at this, these, these buildings, and it's a black and white picture, and they change the colors of the buildings real quick, and you, your mind makes you see everything in color. It's interesting how sometimes we see things that aren't there. There's these illusions, and sometimes we see things other than the way that they actually are. Now, here's how it connects to what we're doing this morning, is that many of us live in a life of illusion in many areas of our lives. And the one that I want to talk about this morning is this. It's the illusion of intimacy. We live in a world where there are hundreds of connections. We've got these phones that we carry around, right, that keep us connected to everything. 
Some of you here, uh, you've got Facebook friends, maybe you've got hundreds of Facebook friends, maybe you're on Twitter and you've got all these followers, or LinkedIn, and you're connected with a bunch of different people. And why is it that so many of us have so many connections, you can sit in a room with hundreds of people? You go to your workplace, we live in a world with billions of people, you've got family, you've got friends, but so many of us feel alone. Like, they just don't know me. We're not connected, and I'm not talking today about the quantity of relationships we have. We're talking about a quality, a quality that's lacking in our society, and it's becoming to the place of epidemic proportions. In fact, sociologists, you can look it up on your own, see a bunch of the studies that are out there. Sociologists say we're more lonely now than we've ever been before, which doesn't seem to make any sense because we've got all these ways to be connected with one another. But as some say as many as half of the population, 43 to 45% is kind of the number that I'd seen, feel alone. But they've got all these connections with different people. And why is it? It's because we live in the illusion of intimacy. And if you were here for our last series, we did a series called Be the Church, and we were talking about what the church was like. You saw in Acts chapter 2, one of the things that made people distinct, one of the things that made the church stand out, is they were devoted. Remember, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. The apostles' teaching, they were devoted to God. They were devoted to one another and made them stand out. And we talked about in that series how there are 59 commands in the New Testament that require another person. I said, you can be a Christian and live in isolation. You cannot be an obedient Christian and live in isolation. I want to pop up for you real quick. I don't expect us to read all of them. These one another commands. I know some of them are it's pretty small print, and uh, we can post this on our website or something later too, but to get them all on there, I wanted you just to see. Here are those, here's the 59 commands when I refer to that. You might see some. Some of you might stick out to you and go, yeah, we do that well. We're not very good at that. But I want to challenge you with, not only do these commands require another person to be involved in your life, many of them require incredible intimacy. I mean, who are you going to confess sins to? Bear each other's burdens. Forgive one another. You see some of these commandments that are in here, and it doesn't happen with a simple like, couple moments that we share in the morning. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, goodbye. See ya. Your life's falling apart. It's miserable. You didn't tell anybody. You need intimacy for that. And today we're going to talk about getting past the illusion of intimacy. And if you look up here, you see these commands. There's one that's repeated a whole bunch. Look at three, four, five, six, seven. Down at the bottom, there's a bunch of them. I don't know why you took it away right at that moment. Thank you very much. <laughs> But love one another was up there a bunch of those. So some of them are repeated. And some people could say love one another is like the umbrella of all the commands and every other command of those falls underneath it. How, you're gonna, don't slander each other. You're going to honor one another. You're going to greet one another. The Holy Kiss, all that stuff falls underneath loving one another. Or you could say it's the foundation and all the other ones are built on it. Either way you want to look at it, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about that one because I think it's like a foundation. And the rest of the things we're going to talk about in this series really build on the one we're talking about today. And so today we're going to talk about what does it take to love one another. And we could pick, as you can see from that slide, a lot of different places to, to look at that command, but we're going to be in John chapter 13 today. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13, and we find that commandment in verses 34 and 35, towards the very end of the chapter. John chapter 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, the evangelist John writes, and many of us know the reason why John wrote his gospel was so that people would believe. So he writes about the life, the ministry of Jesus Christ so that people would know that he is God. He's God in the flesh who came here to die for our sins, just like we were singing about. But what most people don't understand is the way the book is broken down is the first 12 chapters of the book of John are all about his ministry. And so you see him like raise Lazarus from the dead. You see him heal blind. Why was this guy blind? Why did bad stuff happen? You see in John chapter 9, you see all these things that are going on and he's teaching all this stuff. But chapter 13, there's a transition. In chapter 13, Jesus knows he's moments away from dying. It's a, it's a transition into incredible intimacy. 
Now he's alone with his 12 closest friends, and he's going to share some things with them in these last moments of life. Can you imagine if you knew the last moments of your life? Not months and years, not weeks, not days, moments. There's a theme throughout the book of John. His hour had not yet come. His hour had not yet come. You get to John chapter 13. His hour had come. And now we go into this time of intimacy, and at the end of this chapter, he gives us, he gives us this new commandment. Look at it in verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as, you might underline that, just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, to understand the power of that statement, you've got to understand the context in which Jesus spoke this. Jesus was living in, during a time of incredible hate. Uh, there was a time period in history, that if you just read out even secular history books, they'll talk about the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The way that the Roman peace came about was through rape and theft and brutality. And the Romans ruled. So there's a lot of government opposition. Some historians say that people were under 80 to 90% taxation of their income. So think about that. We want you know, tax cuts or whatever. 80 to 90%, that's oppressive taxes. So people are against the political atmosphere. I've shared with you in other uh, sermon series and sermons before about the racial tension that was taking place between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's the Jews and everyone else. The Jews had this view of the Gentile. They call them the Gentile dogs. It was racist. And let's be candid about our time. Some of you here in this moment, you haven't been thinking about it. God's been even encountering the Lord through worship. We've seen a lot of hate this week, haven't we? I don't think it's possible that you probably didn't see what happened in Las Vegas. 59, 58 victims, 59 people died there. Uh, the last count that I saw was almost uh, 500 people were injured. Originally, the estimates were above 500, but almost 500 people that were injured there at Las Vegas. And now that the search is on for what was the motive, we may never find out the motive. Let me tell you something. There was some anger and some hate there. But let's not pretend like that was when this all started in our culture. Because you just start backing up week by week and start reading the headlines. And so the week before that, what was the debate between if the NFL player should kneel or stand? And then go watch your, your social media and see how it goes. If they, if they don't stand, they're not patriots. If they don't kneel, they're racist. And everybody who has something to say about it only gets stronger and stronger in their opinion as they yell at the other person how much hatred is going through social media at that time, even from some of us, right? And, and then you go back before that, where did that come from? It wasn't because of a tweet from the president. There's been racist, racial tensions in our society for a long time. Now, I'll, I'm 40 years old. I would imagine that as I look through my life, this is the, the high, the, like, I don't think the racism has been worse than it ever has been at this time. It's been worse in our country before, but I don't think it's ever been worse in my lifetime. And so you've got black men that are afraid to get pulled over by the police that think they're going to get killed. You've got what happened in Charlottesville. You've got a bunch of Republican baseball players that get shot. So you just keep backing up. I'm talking about earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, any of that kind of stuff that's been going on in our world. There's, this is a dark place. There's a lot of hate. Where does the light come from? It's you. It's me. We're supposed to be the light. How? That's what Jesus says to his disciples here. A new commandment I give to you. How is that a new commandment? Because if you go to the Old Testament, you see to love your neighbor, that was in the book of Leviticus. Love God, that was in Deuteronomy. Those two things summarize the whole law. Jesus gets asked about it earlier in his ministry. There's a whole law summarizing this. Love God, love people. How is this a new commandment? Look at it. A new commandment I give to you. The object is different, that you are to love one another. How's the world going to see our light? How's the world going to know? You would think they would say, go love them. Go show love to them. But it says love each other as believers. And we are good at shooting our own, aren't we, as Christians? 
You love each other. And then, and then here, the intensity, not just the object of love, but the intensity of love has never been experienced before this. Just as I have loved you. Couldn't write about that in the book of Le- Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus hadn't done it yet. Just as I've loved you is the way, you're so, the way that you've received love, the, what we just sang about, the love we just got. That love, that's how you're to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The kind of love that he's talking about here is very important because we think of a lot of things when we talk about love. Think about, you know, I love pizza. I love my dog. My dog loves me. We're not talking about any of that kind of love, okay? Talking about the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated when he gave his life for you. No greater love has no man than this. He laid down his life for his friends. You were his enemies. God's wrath was upon you. You didn't just sin like it's this thing that's outside of you. You desired sin. And while you were doing that, his desires are the exact opposite of that. He died for you. That kind of love. But how do we know that kind of love? Well, it says here, just as I've loved you, verse 34 and 35, love. But if you go back up to chapter 13 and verse 1, he talks about this love as well. Bible scholars uh, talk about structuring of passages sometimes. And one of the ways that sometimes the authors will structure a passage is that's called an inclusio, like a frame that they put around everything. So at the beginning in chapter 13 and verse 1, it says love. And at the end here in verses 34 and 35, it talks about love. Everything that's in between that, that's in the frame, that's between the inclusio, is about love. So if we want to know what it means to love just as Jesus loved, we've got to read what's in between verses 1 and verses 35. And so go back up to verse 1 with me, and we'll read the first few verses here. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, he had moments to live, to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them, and you might want to underline this, to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, that would be his robe as a teacher, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then verse 5, then he poured water into a basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He was demonstrating love. Many of you know this story, if you don't know the story, spoiler alert, he washes the disciples' feet. And many times we read that and we talk about it like it's this humble act of service, It is. Like it's an example. It is. In fact, later we're going to read a verse that says this is an example. I do this as an example to you. You should do this for one another. But it's more than just an example. It's actually a picture of gospel love. And what you see in this passage, the, the security that Jesus had that enabled him to do these things and the security that we should be shown because this love's been demonstrated for us. We may not have had Jesus kneel down and physically wash our feet, but what it's portraying is what he did for us on the cross. And so if you've experienced that kind of love, you should be secure in God's love. And if we're going to demonstrate the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates, we must be secure in God's love. It's only two points today. That's the first one. We must be secure in God's love. Because let's be candid. Insecurity is one of the biggest hindrances to demonstrating love for other people. What, what we don't read about in John chapter 13, uh, there's other gospels that give accounts of what's happening here. And this is called the upper room discourse. It's the last moments of Jesus' life. Luke chapter 22 tells us about, and you can read that on your own a little bit later, but Luke chapter 22 verses 24 through 30 show us the disciples are actually arguing about who's the greatest in this moment. Let me tell you something. If you live like you have something to prove, you're revealing your insecurity. If you live like you're proving something, like proving you're good enough or proving you're what not good enough, proving, making dad happy, making God happy, whatever it is, you're showing your insecurity. Insecurity is a huge hindrance to love. I'll love them as long as they, as long as they acknowledge it. As long as they do these things, as long as it's received, as long, 
If you put conditions and limits on your love, you're revealing your insecurity. And what you see here is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. It's interesting what's said in verse 1. I told you to underline that statement, to the end, it says there. Very literally, it would be translated, to the uttermost. Love with the uttermost. Or, does anybody here have the NIV? Does anybody have reading the NIV? A couple people. Paul, you've got a great voice for it. Maybe you can belt it out. What does it say in the NIV in verse 1? Now you're like, I wasn't really reading it, Pastor Scott. I'm just kidding. <laughs> The full extent of his love, the NIV translator starts to say. And I, and I go, hey, he, he washed their feet. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Humble act of service. How is that the full extent of his love? I mean, we just sang about the cross. We just read Ephesians chapter 2. Isn't the full extent of his love when his arms are spread out and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The answer is yeah. But what this does is it demonstrates it. You'll see later when we start reading the verses and Peter gets in an argument with him. Uh, Jesus says, you don't have any part with me if I don't wash your feet. The cleansing that he's talking about here is about more than just dust on their feet. He's talking about them being cleansed of their sins. And what he's doing is he's giving them a gospel expression. He's living out the gospel. Like try and imagine what it was like to be these guys in this room. And so you're, you're here in this room. Jesus told you to go to prepare this room. You prepared this room. They're all sitting at a table. They're arguing about who's the greatest. The way they're sitting at the table, some of you may have seen a picture of this before. They're at a U-shaped table, which is usually accurately painted. They're not in chairs. They're leaning on one of their arms inward. Their legs are spread out back, and they, the food's been pre-cut for them. And so they reach in, and they grab the food. And they've all probably had a ceremonial bath because it's just before the Passover. But they had to walk to this place. In order to walk to this place, they just wear sandals. Their feet would be dirty. The customs of the day would be the lowest servant there was supposed to wash the feet, but not, a Jewish servant wasn't even allowed to wash feet. You couldn't command a Jewish servant to wash people's feet. It had to be a Gentile servant, those Gentile dogs, and it had to be the lowest kind of Gentile servant. And maybe the reason why they're arguing about who's the greatest has something to do with the fact that no one's feet's gotten washed. But everybody knows it's not Jesus. No one's arguing they're greater than Jesus, by the way, when they're arguing about who's the greatest. It's always, oh, I'm number two, just in case you're wondering how their argument goes here. <laughs> And so what Jesus does next is it's shocking. Like we've heard the story. Many of us have heard this story. And so it's not shocking to us. It's offensive what Jesus does. He takes off his teacher's robe, which would be a robe of honor. So when he goes into the synagogue, everyone doesn't just know his face. Remember, they don't have social media. There's no news or any of that stuff. He comes in. He's wearing a robe. That's how people identified him as a teacher. It was one seam, robe of honor. He takes off the robe of honor, and if you look at your passage, it says what he put on. He put on a towel. That's the, that's the clothing of a servant. He probably wrapped the towel around his waist and just had enough left that he could wash feet off. He probably used a basin. They probably didn't even have a, a basin for using to washing their feet. He probably used the basin they used to wash their hands. And he comes up to them, and he starts washing their feet. Why? How could he do this? Go back to verse 3. Most people never just kind of read past verse 3 and you get to the action of him actually uh, doing the washing of the feet. It says, Jesus, knowing. And I'm too technical on grammar today, but it, it, that, that knowing is a participle, I-N-G word, right? It's an I-N-G word. Uh, Greek grammarians talk about it as a causal participle. That means here's the ground for what he did. Here's the reason why he did what he did. Knowing, what does he know? That the Father had given all things into his hands. He's got all power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. No one's making him do this. And that he had come from God, he knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going, and he was going back to God. Jesus was very secure in his identity. Very secure in his relationship with God. 
And so he could go low. He could love. See, he's the last one in this. He's the highest above all names. There's the name of Jesus, right? Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He goes to the lowest place. None of us are at the place of Jesus. All of us have some place. And you can go lower when you're secure in God's love. Do you know what it is that you've been loved here? So I want to make an observation of this text. It's probably the most basic observation maybe I've ever made in the history of our church. You read verses 34 and 35, it gives us this commandment, but then you read up in verse 1 that this is the full extent of his love, love to the end, love to the uttermost, however you want to translate that. It means the same thing. Let me tell you something. Verse 1 comes before verse 34 and 35. So preschool math, right? 1 comes before 34. Got that down. Got that, Ella? Good. One of my daughters here, so make sure. 1 comes before 34. You got it? She's like, come on, Dad. Got that. Why? Why, though? Why does that? Why, does, why is this a new commandment? Why does verse 1 have to come before verse 34? Because in order to do what verse 34 and 35 says, you have to have experienced what verse 1 says. You have to have received this love before you can give this love. So, simple illustration would be this. Philip, you paying attention? Or are you, are you with me? You with me? I want you to give my wallet away this morning. Can you do that for me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Give my wallet away. Why can't you just get, if I give you my wallet, you're going to give it away. What ought I do that for? He sits back down. No, come on. Here, man. Yes, yes. Here's my wallet. You can have my wallet. You just got to give it away. How nice. He didn't just give it to his wife. And then he gave it away. He's like, I don't want that guy's wallet. Who knows a bomb in there? Who knows what's up? They're just passing the wallet around. There's a $10 Starbucks gift card, whoever actually holds on to the wallet. Look at, we're just such a generous church. Everybody's just passing it around. Isn't that awesome? But here's the point. Here's the point of the illustration. Somebody's going to get that wallet at some point today. You can't give it away until I give it to you. I can tell you, I can command you, hey, go love the way that Jesus loved. Well, I haven't received the love of Jesus. Then how are you going to give it away? Well, I know. I know that the command says this. I believe that Jesus loves me. But have you experienced his love? What's Paul talking about in Ephesians chapter 3? When he says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Well, you can't know it. You can't memorize enough verses to get God's love into your heart. You must experience God's love. If you haven't experienced God's love, let me ask you this question. What's stopping you? Because it's freely offered to you. What's stopping you from experiencing this love? See, this is a picture of the gospel, what happens here. Jesus the highest goes to the lowest. Well, there's a bigger demonstration of condescension. It's God putting on flesh and coming to this earth. He washes the disciples' feet. And we'll talk in a minute just about the dirt and the grime that are on their feet. But he's getting into their mess. What about our sin that he bore on the cross? He's becoming obedient. He's serving. He's doing Philippians chapter 2 that we read about. We should have the attitude of Jesus and not consider ourselves better than, than what we are. He was God. He didn't grasp a hold of that. He emptied himself of that and he became obedient to the cross. Not just serving us. He served us ultimately. He says, what does Mark chapter 10, verse 45 say? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And what? Not to wash feet, to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you received that? If you haven't received that, why not? Maybe it's your anger. Maybe you're angry at God for something that happened in your life. It's like this blocker. God's love is coming after you. It's pursuing you, but you've got this anger towards him. Why don't you surrender that to him and let him heal that anger? Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's your sin. Maybe you just love your sin more than you want God. 
Well, be honest about that and come before him. And realize, say, I, I know this sin is separating me from you. Will you take this sin? Whatever your burdens are, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Will you receive my care? There's this crazy verse in Galatians. Sometimes Christians quote, where do they, do they quote the last part of it? In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, here's the part we don't usually do, who loved me and gave himself for me. What is it that motivates Paul's surface? God's love for him. Because he had experienced that love and he's praying that everybody else, that you'd know this love that surpasses knowledge. So what happens when we receive his love? We talk about Jesus knows where he came from, knows where he's going. Do you know that you receive a brand new identity as a follower of Jesus Christ when you receive that love? I'm going to read you several verses today, and, and, and I want you just to let these like wash over you. Don't worry about writing down the references. Those of you who take notes, the sermon will be online. You can go back and get it later. If you want to email me, I'll email you these verses. They're all about who you are in Christ when you trust Jesus as Savior. I often read this one to people when they first place their faith in Jesus. John chapter 1 and verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. You're his child. Think of it, if, if those of you who are parents, there are probably no other relationship on earth that gets closer to you demonstrating unconditional love. No matter what they do, no matter where they go, no matter what job they pick, no matter who they marry, no matter where they move to, you love them. They're your kids, nothing can change you. Them being your kids, that's how God feels about you. You're his child. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 say this. There's a ton of identity statements, but you are a chosen race. There's one. A royal priesthood, another. A holy nation, another one. A people for his own possession. You're his. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, this world of hate, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. You're mercy receivers. That is your identity. Ephesians chapter 1, can't read all the verses in Ephesians chapter 1, but it says you're predestined, you're adopted, you have every spiritual blessing, you're made holy, you're made blameless, you're forgiven, you're given the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we talked about last week, it's a noun, you are his witnesses. You're an ambassador, you're a child, you're loved, you're secure, you're his. And Romans chapter 8 says that you're secure. Once you've received his love, you're secure in his love. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, for I am sure, confident, secure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and get this one, underline this, because anything you might put into the statement, nor anything else, nor your pain, nor your sin, nor your rebellion, nor your anger, nor your hatred, and all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And once you've received that love, do you know what else you receive? You receive a new heart. In Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, it says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Remember Ephesians chapter one, he puts his spirit within us, and I'll put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart that feels, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You'll actually want to obey the law. From wanting your sin, you'll want him. He changes our desires on the inside. You can't do it, though, unless you've been enabled to do it. 
And so have you received God's love? That's really the big question. If so, then you can be secure in God's love. You can't out his love. You can't outrun his love. You can't, just because you're not acknowledging his love, he loves you. Be secure in his love, but then you give that love. Just as you've been loved, that's the new commandment, just as you've been loved, love. So our second point is this, that real love meets real needs and requires real sacrifice. So you look at what happens next in this passage is that Jesus has taken off his robe, he's put on this towel, and he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward, and I would just ask you to consider, after he washes their feet or after he dies on the cross, afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Now here's Peter, he's kind of an all-in or all-out kind of guy. <laughs> he's, he says, you... Literally, it's emphatic, like, you never, never, you for eternity wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And then John tells us the comment, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, what he's saying here is about more than just washing their feet. And he's going to unpack it a little bit later, and he talks about, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And then they go, who's going to betray you? And he's like, the guy who dips his thing. And then somehow they don't know what he's talking about, and Judas leaves. And he's saying, I know. And he even washes Judas' feet, just so you know. That's the kind of love he's demonstrating, the kind of love that will even love an enemy. But he's saying, don't be fooled. There's no clearer statement in the Bible that Judas, you know, is better had he never been born. Yeah, but maybe it's just bad here on earth. He wasn't converted. But he was really close with Jesus. That should be scary to everybody who's been in church for any amount of time. Do I really? Do I really? He washed their feet. He's meeting a real need, but the real need is not just that they have dirty feet. The real need is their sins need to be cleansed. And that's what he's talking about. He explains it in verses 12 through 17. But you see it here. And we oftentimes, I think, sterilize this passage, even though we talk about, you know, dirty feet and. They had just bathed and they walked through the roads and their sandals were just like, this, think of a sole of a shoe with a belt wrapped around it to strap the sole of the shoe to your foot. And then you think about who these guys are. I mean, Peter, you saw him here. I don't think Peter probably used a pet egg at night. Now I know who has the pet egg. There we go. He's probably not lotioning those feet up before he goes to bed. He just doesn't seem like that personality to me, probably. And then you got to remember, they didn't come on roads like we came to church on today. And so when they went to the upper room, these are dusty roads. These are, you know, not the nicest roads you've ever been on. They, if they just went on main roads, at least there probably wasn't human fecal matter in the roads. Because they'd keep that off the main roads in Jerusalem, but not on the side streets. People have chamber pots. They dump them out. They don't have toilets like we have. Like, let's think about their culture. Think about what's happening here. So there's toilet stuff all over the roads. When Jesus gets down, he's willing to get messy here. He's showing them he's going to get involved in their sin. He becomes their sin on the cross. What needs to be washed away? It's all the mess that's there. Let's be candid why many of us don't have intimacy. It's because we don't want to get messy with each other. Simple analogy I could give you is, hey, you go to the grocery store ever? How many of you, when you see that there's a self-checkout line and then there's the other checkout line, go to the self-checkout line? And why don't you go to the checkout line with the humans there? You know why? Because the guy in front of you might write a paper check. It happened to me the other day, and I thought to myself, did you ride here on a dinosaur? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Writing a paper check? I know I preach on patience. Pressing on towards what is ahead. <laughs> like, 
And then the guy behind the counter might ask you about your life, and then you got to ask him about his life, and then somebody's kids might be started grabbing stuff and start annoying. You're like, my kids annoy me. What about these kids are annoying me too? And like, you just don't want to deal with it. Why do you go through the self-checkout line? Because it's easier. Because you're in control. Maybe it's faster for you. It's oftentimes why we don't have real relationships too. It's, it's not as messy. We want to feel loved. We just don't want to get involved in other people's junk. And so we can come up with lots of reasons. Not, I'm busy, they're busy, all kinds of excuses. But the reality is we don't want to deal with the mess. Jesus here is getting involved in the mess. He's willing to meet real needs which requires sacrifice. We talked about it as a church. Hey, we've got Salford Serves next weekend and meeting real needs in our community. You want to share the gospel with homeless people and prostitutes? Sign up for the Bull City Outreach. There's a table out in the lobby. You want to help kids that need mentors? We talked about Bethesda Elementary last week. You can serve right here at this school. We've got you know, kids' lives that are being saved at Gateway. We've got kids that have been abandoned and abused and all kinds of difficulty dealing with all kinds of depression, different, all kinds of stuff at Hope Range. Go serve there. All kinds of opportunities in our community to get involved. But what about with each other? So we get the small group expo after the service today. No matter what, if you get involved in a small group, it will require sacrifice at some level. I promise you there's nobody here that's thinking right now, you know what, I've got a free night, let me go see if there's a small group that meets on that night. Everybody here is busy. It'll require some sacrifice. Some people child care. It's going to require some financial sacrifice. But let me tell you something else. It gets way more difficult than that once you get in. Because if you start really getting to know people, that's messy. Even people at church, shh, don't tell. We all got mess. Everyone's got, I got, if you don't think I got mess, you stand up on the stage, you're different, you're a pastor. You know, just, no, I'm a mess. Amen. My wife just amened that. Come on. We all, we all do though. So we all live in this place. We all got sin problems. We've got issues. We've got relational issues. We've all sinned against someone. We've all had people sin against us. So then there's hurt and there's pain. We've all experienced loss. We've all done stuff to people we wish we hadn't done. We've all, it's all a mess. So you get involved in that. And that's why many people, you want, you want it. You just don't want to get in that. And so we want this clean sterileness. And so it's a lot easier just to scroll through Facebook and Twitter. And, but then we go, we, got, we know all these people. We're just not connected. That's why. You're going to break through that? Jesus tells us how right here. You love just as you've been loved. And so you go through and you look and see what he says next. The, the, verses 12 through 17 are the teaching. He shows it in verses 6 through 11. Verses 12 through 17, he says this. When he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place. And so he puts his robe back on. He said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? And they probably should have said, no, just tell us. He says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you are right. I am. I am Lord. I'm your master. I am your teacher. It is right, he's saying to them. We don't have the same position, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, he's saying to them, greater than you, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You're the servant. You're the learner. But you still have a position, and you can still go lower. For I've given you an example that you also should do not what I've done, just as I have done. So the point isn't go out and wash other people's feet as a symbolic gesture. It's fine if you want to do that. That's nice. But he's saying get low. Go to the lowest place. Be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to get messy, just as I've done to you. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed 
for memorizing them. Some of you are reading along with me. You're supposed to go, that's not right, that's not right. Bereans right down here, right? Look at this. You're, you're blessed, happy, satisfied. You don't think you're seeking in life? Give up your life, then you'll experience it. Do you trust him? You're blessed if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, is how the verse actually reads. And then he goes on, and he talks about his betrayal in the next several verses. And then verse 31 through 33, he alludes to his death. And then he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if, if you have love for one another. That's how we know. And this week we saw this tragedy and the hatred and all the stuff that happened, but there were some hero stories too. If you've read some of the Las Vegas stuff that took place, there were people that had their pickup trucks that were used as ambulances. Uh, there were some police officers that used their bodies as shields. There, were, there was one guy, some of you may have seen on the news, who grabbed about 30 people, pulled them over a wall. There was one story that, that got me out of all the stories was of a young gal, her name was Crystal, Crystal Goddard. She's 35 years old if you want to Google it and find it yourself. But she tells a story about how she was at the, like, just in front of the stage when the shooting started. And, and she thought, you know, just like everybody else, it sounds like fireworks or something, you know, something's happening here. When they realized that it was bullets that were coming at them, the people were falling down, dying, a whole bunch of people got underneath a table. And she said, we were packed in there like sardines, and I was holding my roommate. Her roommate's name was Amy. And she said, Amy was holding this guy, a total stranger, who used his body to shield them from the bullets. And she said, we were sitting there, and these bullets are just whizzing by, and she said, and I just kept saying, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay. And then the guy who was shielding with his body, he was bleeding through his shirt. And finally looked at them and said, I've been hit, I don't think I'm going to make it. So here they are, they're literally grabbing a hold of this guy who's protecting them with his blood. Sound familiar? And the paramedics came and took him away, they don't know what happened to him. They don't even know his name. But think about what is it that we're supposed to love like? Oh, Jesus shed his blood for your sins. It wasn't just that he washed feet. He, he laid his life down for us. That's a real need. Real love meets real needs, and it requires sacrifice. Most of us are never going to have to sacrifice our physical lives for someone else. Maybe. But we get opportunities daily to lay our lives down for the people that are around us. Who's around you? Who's intimate with you? My hope for you today is this, that you'll make a decision that you will reject the illusion of intimacy and pursue this kind of love. We give you an opportunity. We can't make you be intimate with one another as a church, but we want to give you an opportunity to have real relationships. And so today, if you come in here and you're like, oh, no, that's no, not the time. I'm not ready for a small group yet. I want to challenge you to at least consider that as an opportunity. Let me pray for us.